gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Tonight, the battle for the 2020 Gormagon World Domination Imperial Leader takes place, where everything is on the line. Five candidates face off in the only debate before the Super Thursday primaries that don't really matter anyway. I'm Gorty, and as a time-traveling robot, it would be unfair for me to run, since I know the future. Live from the Grand Hall of Castle Gormagon, this is the 2020 Gormagon World Domination Imperial Leader Debate. Here are the five candidates for the position. Confucius, the Ecumenical Volgi. Born in 551 BC, he is the only permanent resident of the castle, occupying the third through the fifth floors of the castle with his pet Yeti. He travels the world, appearing and disappearing at will, and has mastered over 160 languages along the way. His favorite topics are foreign affairs, popular culture, and history. He considers decapitating vampires a worthwhile and diverting pastime. Pewter! Always right unless he isn't, the infallible ghetto pewter joined the order in the mid-1980s. He arrived at the castle door with dozens of steamer trunks and an inarticulate hissing creature of astonishingly low intelligence he calls Sleestack. Pewter is quite gregarious and can be found throughout the castle during the day. Visitors can see him in the rumpus room, in the cafetorium, or in any of the restrooms. The Tsar was born in the steppes of Russia in 1267 and was cheated out of total control of all Russia upon the death of Boris Mikhailovich, Boris Mikhailovich. who replaced Alexander Yaroslav Nevsky, Nevsky in 1263. However, in 1283, our Tsar was passed over due to a clerical error. As a half-hearted apology, the Tsar was awarded control over Muscovy, inconveniently located 5,000 miles away, just outside Chicago. Uh, Chicago. He now spends his time seething about this and writing about other stuff that bothers him. The Mandarin joined the order in 1309 and introduced the Gormagons into England during the 18th century. He enjoys spending time with his pet manacore, Barry. When not in the castle... Well, frankly, nobody is sure where he goes. The Mandarin popularized the fine art of gut booting, by which he delivers a powerful kick to the stomach of anyone that annoys him. Dr. J was born the son of a new Atlantean sharecropper who cornered the market on the notoriously delicious seaweed Himalathia elongata, popular known as thongweed. Guests considering consulting the doctor should attempt to determine in advance whether they are allergic to force lightning, as it makes up a considerable proportion of his medical treatments. With me is a panel of journalists and hosts that we forced into participating as punishment for what they have wrought upon the American viewing public. TV personality and co-host of CBS's This Morning program, Gail King. Nora O'Donnell, noted TV journalist and anchor of the CBS Evening News. Face the Nation host, Margaret Brennan, And finally, Bill Whitaker from 60 Minutes. 
This is the biggest primary day of the year, as voters in 14 states cast ballots, and many of them tell us they have not actually made up their mind. So this debate, when you think about it tonight, may be the last best chance for the candidates to make their case. Now here are the rules for the next two hours. When you are asked a question, you will have one minute and 15 seconds to answer and 45 seconds for follow-ups. So let's begin. Whoa, 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 Nora. This isn't some Democratic Party debate. We Gormagons play by the rules. We have Sleestack and Datho standing by to cut off and punish any candidate that exceeds their time allotment. In fact, as the audience can see, uh, right, we're only podcasting this debate. Well, each candidate is in an isolated soundproof booth, and at the end of their time, we'll cut off their microphone, and, well, we'll leave the rest as a surprise. Okay, back to you. We haven't had a national unemployment rate this low for this long in 50 years. Here in South Carolina, the unemployment rate is even lower. How will you convince voters that we can do better with the economy? Nora, thanks for that insightful question. I'd like to start by saying um, what a nice set of cans you have on yourself and, you know, that America is kind of in awe of them. Uh, but now on to the question. Uh, yeah, we haven't seen an unemployment rate this long, low in 50 years, but what we need to do, I think, is we need to invade Canada to improve our economy. In invading Canada, we can take over the very lucrative NHL, the maple syrup syndicate and monopoly, and we can kill the Trudeaus. So it's really, you know, if you think about it, it's all good for all of us all. Plus, they have really cool police uniforms up there, if you hadn't known. Um, and they have those cute, cute Eskimos who we can subjugate like we did with the Indians. So that's what I would do to improve our economy. Well, you know what, Nora, we can do better with the economy, even better than we're doing right now. We could probably get government out of business even more than we have, start reducing further regulations, start making it profitable for businesses to hire more workers and expand. Don't you ask this question of every candidate every time? And, you know, when it's a candidate from the right, you get pretty much the same answer. And then when that candidate finally does get elected, um, that's exactly what happens. Doc, your turn. Nora, have you watched a newspaper or read a TV show in the last week or two? The economy is absolutely disastrous right now. Um, we can do much better with the economy simply if we just take care of the coronavirus. Um, everything else will fix itself. Um, it would be nice if the Democrats weren't making fools of themselves in the last couple of days, trying to block some sort of compromise bill uh, to help relieve small business people major corporations and individuals who are uh, all struggling right now. I find your question to be beneath me, but I will answer it anyway. I predict under my supreme leadership that there will be zero unemployment. Once my super weapon factories are at full capacity, you will either be building them or you'll be on the receiving end, which will cut down the number of unemployed as well as the overall population. Good evening, Nora. If your question is about the unemployment rate and the labor market, it's hard when things get this tight. Now, as a necromancer, I could certainly raise an army of the undead to do unskilled work. This is both green in that it's a renewable resource and highly efficient. That said, there's something in the Constitution about slaves, so I think there may be some legal questions that would have to be ironed out, but I personally think this is a possible solution for expanding the labor market without resorting to expensive automation solutions. 
Now, of course, any question about the economy has to factor in all sorts of unknowns. I mean, if something ridiculous were to happen, like a bat with a virus were to bite a pangolin, which was then eaten by some trendy Chinese lunatic, and have that virus jump to him, and then the you know gangsters in Beijing covered the whole thing up for, out of their vanity, causing a worldwide pandemic that would cause a lot of economic damage, we wouldn't be having this conversation. However, as we all recognize, that's an extremely unlikely scenario. Since we're in these soundproof booths, I really can't hear anything. I don't know. This was Gord's brilliant idea, and it just sucks because we're sitting here and we can't even hear each other. If you could honor the rules of the debate. But I'm pretty damn sure I know what Tsar said, and I just like to say the Tsar may suck it. Why would the Russians want to be working on behalf of Bernie Sanders? Gail, you raise an interesting question about the Russians working with Bernie Sanders. I suspect the Russians really like Vermont. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, state, and they just want to go visit. Mandy, how about your answer? Why not? Isn't Bernie still one of their citizens? Thanks for that question, Gail. I'd like to say before I answer the question that, you know, you're a really crappy journalist, and the only reason you got your job is because you're Oprah's bestie. Uh, I just thought America needed to hear that said out loud for once. Uh, now to the question, why would the Russians warden work with Bernie Sanders or for Bernie Sanders? You know, it's pretty obvious. It's because he reminds them all of their babushkas, their grandmothers. And, you know, every Russian loves his or her grandmother. So, you know, they don't want to do anything to offend their grandmothers. And th that's really why they would, the Russians would want to work for Bernie Sanders. Good evening, Gail. Why would the Russians want to be working on behalf of Bernie Sanders? Reciprocity, I suppose. He did a lot of their work back in the 80s, so they kind of owe him. I think my colleagues here are exactly correct. I think there were two reasons why the Russians would uh, be promoting Bernie Sanders. One is because um, he's extraordinarily useful and has so far done every single thing that they've asked him to do uh, for the last 30-some years. And number two, the more they push him, the more Trump looks attractive to voters and a uh, good possibility that uh, Sanders is going to guarantee that, that Trump gets reelected. Jesus, Gord, where are the damn door lock on this thing. I can't even get out of this thing. I can't even hear what anybody's saying. My God, what the hell is going on here? Can't hear anybody? How do you expect me to rebut a goddamn thing anybody said? You know, it just going off a wild ass gas, I just like to say that whatever Volgi said sucked. And, you know, his answer always sucks, just like all the movies we go see. That movie really, really sucked. Every day in our country, over 100 people die from gun violence. You all have plans, I know, on this stage to address the gun crisis, but Congress has not been able to pass a major gun legislation in a quarter of a century. And just think about this. In those 25 years, we've had Columbine, Newtown, Parkland, Las Vegas. We could go on and on. Why should anyone have faith that you're the one who can get this done now? I think it's probably because Congress has completely run out of ideas on how they could take the same old gun control legislation and find a way to dress it up. They're, they're tired. They're spent. They've exhausted the resources and imaginations. Uh, the American public does not want gun control. Uh, I think this is as close to a settled issue as you can get in politics. Uh, the American people have experimented with both gun control and gun freedom and uh, like the latter a whole lot more than the former. Gail, I think I'm one of the last people you would want in charge of crafting gun legislation. All of the gun legislation I would craft is to uh, remove gun legislation, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Tennessee's just moved to a 
uh, constitutional carry, and we haven't had any problems as a consequence of that. So I don't know what to tell you. Vote for me. No gun legislation other than the Second Amendment. Let's go to Pewter for this one. Gail, you're still a crappy journalist, but, you know, thanks for that question, I guess. You know, maybe did Oprah write that for you? Um, well, you should trust that I'm the one who can get something done on guns, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to get rid of all that crap gun legislation passed by Congress, if I can, and push it through, and twist arms and strong arm to go back to a Second Amendment, which is pretty much wide open. America is a safer place where people have legal guns. Um, we should be enforcing gun crime laws, obviously, very strictly. And in fact, I would recommend the death penalty for people starting, you know, with their own handguns or illegal guns as they would be shot. So that's what I would do to combat the gun problem. I will eliminate gun violence by eliminating the need for guns. Once my highly efficient and somewhat accurate orbital weapon platforms come online, your puny guns will be useless against me. I still can't hear anybody. Would you fix this damn thing, Gord? I mean, it's just ridiculous that I can't hear anybody. But I see Mandy over there with his beady little eyes, his wee beady little eyes, and his whiskers. In fact, he kind of does look like a weird wombat with a gun. Is that a gun he's got? Oh, damn it, Mandy. They told you not to bring guns to this thing. Thank you. I'd like to change topics and ask you. Rural areas have populations who are older, sicker, and poorer than non-rural communities, and they have to travel farther to get medical help when they need it. Expanding coverage is going to be useless if there are no providers to go to. So how would you ensure that there is available health care in rural areas? Volgi, over to you. As an immortal necromancer, I haven't been in a hospital in hmm, millennium, maybe two. But I hear this is a problem. That said, you know, in my hypothetical about the pangolin plague, uh, I think it would be urban areas that would really have to worry about. Don't you? Mandy, how about your answer? I propose to fund the creation of a robot army of doctors, nurses, and healthcare administrators that can be deployed to provide the highest level of healthcare and provide for monitoring and control of the so-called rural population. And I tell you, we're almost there. We just need to reprogram our current inventory of killer robots for the task at hand. I mean, really, it's just changing a few lines of code. What could go wrong? Uh, it's uh, really the responsibility of the municipality to provide health care in rural areas. And if the town is too small, it becomes the responsibility of the county to provide health care. And if it is still too small a county, it is the responsibility of the state to ensure um, there's no reason for the federal government to get involved in providing health care to people at all whatsoever. Um, I'm, I'm sure that uh, we're all familiar with a concept called subsidiarity, where the smallest unit that can provide the resource is obligated to do so, and if they cannot do so, it moves to the next larger one up. At this point, none of the 50 states are so small that they cannot provide health care to all of the citizens in the state. So at worst, this is a state issue. At best, it's a municipality issue. Thanks for the, for the question, Margaret. I'd also like to say that you have a spectacular pair of cans, but they're just not as nice as Norda O'Donnell's. That said, with the rural areas, populations are older, sicker, and poorer, traveling farther to get to medical communities. They, there's two answers here. We could either Shanghai doctors and chain them to desks in the rural communities just to get rid of them. Or we could just simply eliminate all the sick and poor in, in rural communities. So, you know, it's there's ways of doing that. And I think, I think we should probably just, you know, 
get rid of them all for the good of society. I think it's the best thing for everybody, you know, and that's sort of the way we gourmagons roll. It is absolutely true that rural communities struggle with access to high quality health care. Um, providers tend not to want to live in small rural areas. Um, some of the reasons include that since the hospitals are smaller, um, there's lack of access to specialists. And if you are a specialist, you may not have all of the tools that you would need that you may have at a larger hospital. It's no fun for patients to travel a long distance to get health care. The National VA Hospital, for example, serves a catchment area that goes as far west as Jackson, Tennessee, and all the way to Dalton, Georgia in the southeast. So there are a number of ways that I you still can can't hear anything, and this is getting incredibly areas. frustrating. And you know, I think I just shat in the corner over here, this booth, and now it's really starting to stink. So sleep stack, we get over here and clean this please. up. You have to honor the rules. You'll get your turn to rebut. One example would be telemedicine, where the physician can have an encounter through a television monitor with their patient, and that can work pretty well. Unfortunately, unless you are licensed in the state where the patient lives. Uh, you are not allowed to do a telemedicine encounter. Uh, also reimbursement. Uh, I think that you would entice more doctors to rural areas if the same encounter were paid more on the Medicare scale, like perhaps a uh, 20 or 30 percent uh, surcharge for all encounters in rural areas. Uh, that would get some people to move out in those areas for sure. Those are just some thoughts. Oh, oh, what are we, rebuttal? Rebuttal, is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure Doc said something, even though I couldn't hear him, about how about medicine and how he's going to make things better and all that crap, but don't believe him. He's not really a doctor. He's a like doctor like Dr. Joe Biden. Last doctor. time Dr. J checked, he was a real doctor, as his degree is in bartending and not education. Mayor Bloomberg is mayor of New York. You declared war on obesity. You banned trans fats from restaurants, and you tried to do the same with large sugary drinks. So if you become president, will you push those policies on the national level as well? Over to you, Czar. I think there should only be one policy on the national level, and that's stay the hell out of people's lives. That was for the audience to applaud, and of course they did. No, I'm serious about it. Uh, Bloomberg loves to take his personal preferences and put them into other people's lives. I'd like to go the other way and start taking some aspects of my life and make Mayor Bloomberg conform to them. I think he specifically needs to drink about four or five types of bourbon. He should only drink lagers and not IPAs. Uh, he definitely should avoid diet soda because it tastes nasty. And quite frankly, bottled water is a waste of money. I think he should invest in a Brita water filter or some product like that. Um, and if he doesn't like my recommendations, well, guess what? Ah, Jesus, Gail, get off your high horse. Bloomberg's a putz. I mean, come on. If Americans are fat, we're going to be fat. We're going to eat fat. We're gonna, we like being fat. So I'm going to supersize everything when I'm president or imperial leader or whatever the hell I'm running for these days. I don't know. Jesus, that shit in the corner sure stinks. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to have bigger, more sugary drinks. We're going to have fatter people. We're going to have not just trans fats, because God knows that's just a made-up fat. We're going to have, like, cis fats when I'm president, and it's going to be the best, the greatest, fattest country ever. No. 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 And just, if I'm not clear enough, no. 
No, I would not. Fat people serve two vital functions in society. One, they give us someone to ridicule and make us feel better about ourselves. And two, I can use them as a fuel source to power my superweapon factories. And before you get all uppity about what impact this would have on the environment, just know that the byproducts produced from this process can be used to make a chocolate hazelnut spread that easily can take market share away from Nutella. Gail, I would only ban Miracle Whip and pizza with pineapple on top. I think Gort would agree with me on that. I'd like to rebut Gort, because Gort's locked me in this goddamn cage and won't let me out yet. So since he's standing over there as giant-ass eight-foot robot self staring us down, I'd like to say that, you know, we're going to make America more obese than ever. Make America more obese again than ever before again. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, the debate continues right after this. When the Gorham Brigands flex their muscles with orbital weapon platforms like the Mandarin's Death Angel platform, the world listens. It's time we return to the world Gorgamon's envision. Hi, I'm William Devane. There are dangerous forces tearing our attention away from the Gormagons, threatening their world domination plans and not letting them run our lives. That's why I'm doing two things, supporting the Gormagons and buying plutonium-235 from Mandarin Radioactive Supply. I've never felt safe relying on gunpowder and nitroglycerin to protect me. That's why I buy from Mandarin React Radioactive Supply. With the Mandarin, what you order is what you get. No gimmicks, no nonsense, no hassle. We're all safer with the Gormagons dominating us, and my assets are a whole lot safer with Plutonium-235 from Mandarin Radioactive Supply. So ask yourself, are you safe? So call now, 1-999-782-5480. That's 1-999-782-5480. That's 1-999-SUCK-IT-0. Welcome back, debate. Each of you is campaigning for the role as commander-in-chief. You mean imperial leader, Gail. Well, you will command 1.3 million U.S. troops and be responsible for protecting America's national security. There are also 53,000 here in South Carolina. Senator Warren said he wanted to bring home all troops from the Middle East and then walked that back to say he wanted to bring home combat troops. Do. How does that protect America's national security? I would pull the troops out, but I would not abandon the Middle East. Rather, I will unleash an army of semi-trained small primates that, as many of you recall, I can control with my mind. Withdraw troops from the Middle East? No, 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 no. Not until they bring me back the accursed statue of goddess Eresh Kigal from beneath the ziggurat of King Lugalbanda, which has been lost, as you know, for probably 3,000 years. We have priorities. Great question, Nora. Also, your cans are still spectacular. What? Wait, what? No, no, no. I'm harmlessly pervy. Have I touched you? No, I have not. But back to the question at hand, because I've got a limited time here. Um, yeah, I'd pull all the troops out of the Middle East because what we're going to do is we're going to mass them on the border, on the Delmarva border with Delaware and Virginia, and we're going to take over Delaware, and we're going to take over that little bitty part of Virginia that's on the, on the peninsula, the Delmarva Peninsula, and we're going to give it back to its rightful owner, Maryland, because it's got a way better flag than either, either of those two putt states, and plus that 
7,000-year-old man Biden who can't, you know, he's got dementia. Again, Nora, it's imperial leader. Keep up. He's from Delaware, so we should just probably just erase Delaware off the face of the map anyway for the good of the nation. Uh, Nora, I'm the Tsar of Muscovy. I would not pull combat troops out of the Middle East. I would put them into the Middle East in increasing numbers. I would invade Europe. I would invade Africa. I would certainly consider invading Australia, although most of the troops would probably not want to come home. Um, yeah, I think I would probably um, take over the entire world, which, by the way, is what we're all about here. So I would say 1.3 million troops is a good start, but nowhere near enough for what I'm going to need. Canada alone can take 1.3 million troops. You know what? I would probably raise about 9 or 10 billion troops and then basically turn everyone into a big super soldier um, with, uh, well, me as commander-in-chief, unless one of the other guys here wants to do it. Doc? You, you, you got that kind of imperial mindset, right? I mean, sure, you know, if we pull all the troops out of the Middle East, things could collapse and everything. But, you know, what's more important? You know, a Middle East in a state of perpetual war, you know, it's going to be at war regardless of what we do. We could put all our troops there. We could put more and more troops there all the time. We could put more troops everywhere, you know. But what we really need to do is get back to a one Maryland policy. We're going to get rid of, you know, Delaware, and we're going to get rid of that little piece, that little dingle on the Delmarva Peninsula of Virginia, because there's going to be one, Maryland. There was breaking news from the CDC about the coronavirus. But the CDC says this, it's not a matter of if the virus will spread here, but when. The question to you is this, would you close the borders to Americans who have been exposed to the coronavirus in order to prevent an outbreak here in this country? I'm sorry, Gail, I don't really follow American politics very closely, but. I was under the impression that at this point in history, speaking about enforcing borders was some sort of taboo that got people very upset. I think I'll stay away from this one. Uh, Thanks for the question, uh, because you media types are really pissing me off with this coronavirus thing. You know, over the last few weeks, we've heard how, oh, it's like a slightly bad form of the flu to, is it going to come over here to, oh my God, we have to cancel weddings yeah, weddings and, and pull kids out of school and, and clean out grocery store shelves of things like salad dressing because, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Look, you media types are getting off on this thing. And the fact that more people die every day from the common flu than have died total from coronavirus, it's really starting to chat my... No, I'm not. I'm serious. Don't... No, I'm going to keep yelling here. This is ridiculous. You people have just completely upset the entire country with this, and the false equivalency where you're saying like, oh my gosh, 100,000 people have it in Italy. How is America going to cope with that? Well, have you seen the Italian healthcare system? It's crap. And Italians are all packed into some tight little country where there's a cruise ship every 10 feet. I mean, literally 90% of the coastline is cruise ship with Iranians pouring off of it, getting everybody sick in Italy because that's how Italy is. America is not like Italy. It's not like China. And the fact that you people living in your little Manhattan and central Los Angeles homes don't understand that because... You know, you know it's it a big goes wall. fast, but a minute 15 is really a long time. <laughs> so we'd ask respectfully if you would all please God, keep to the time. God! Damn it! God! No, Oprah's best, you insufferable moron. I would not close the border to Americans. Americans have a right to be an American. They're U.S. citizens. They deserve to be here. Now, would I quarantine when they get here? Sure. That's another whole thing. What we really should be doing is executing journalists like you who are too dumb to, to ask a decent question. 
you know, if if we if the media actually behaved in a responsible fashion, people wouldn't be panicked about coronavirus. You know, we wouldn't have these sob stories and there's a hype where we're we're running into like you know. Uh, panic buying and stuff like that in stores. I mean, are you really trying to incite a riot here? I mean, that's what media does now, isn't it? I mean, hell, if we're going to do this, we might as well get the whole crew in here. We get the Morning Joe crew. We can get the rest of the CNN crew. We can get that Acosta douchebag. You know, we can get uh, Chuck Todd, who's a giant insufferable weenie who's trying to hide his baldness. We can get everybody in here. We can get them all in here for one big fucking happy family, and then we can execute you all. Gail, your question is really behind the times. But... If I'm being asked if I would close the border to Americans who have been exposed to coronavirus to prevent an outbreak in the United States, I absolutely would not close the borders to them. I would quarantine them until they're either clear of disease or shown to be negative, and then let them back in the main part of the United States. But I would absolutely unequivocally not close the border to Americans. No, although they did do a fantastic job on the railroads, and I do like those little cookies with the paper inside. No, I'm not too fired up on executing everybody. I mean, hell, I mean, you know, the only people I've talked about executing are, you know, uh, media, which I think pretty sure most of the country would agree with me on. You know, it's not like getting rid of the press altogether. There's still going to be a press. It's just these insufferable douchebags who all went to journalism school and think they're better than everybody else because they live in nice places and get paid a lot of money for basically repeating facts that everybody else writes. Now, I... You know, America hates you. I mean, hell, we could have show trials, you know, we could have, you know, bread and circuses. It would help the economy probably, too, if we just got rid of you all, because, you know, the ratings would be huge. Ma'am, we're a secret conspiracy. We're all about stoking fear and skepticism. We're going to stay on the topic of foreign affairs. Margaret Brennan. Thank you, Nora. Mayor Bloomberg said that President Xi Jinping of China is not a dictator and that he is responsive to his constituents and that the U.S. must cooperate with Beijing. How far does that go? Would you allow Chinese firms to build critical U.S. infrastructure? Well, you know, you really can't um, just cut China out of the world picture. I mean, they're a huge source of income for the United States, and we are their largest trading partner in return. Um, I mean, we give them all sorts of critical products and services that just produce a huge amount of revenue in this country. And in return, they give us things like the coronavirus so that you media types can sit there in your lofty little palaces going, oh my God, it's the end of the world where you're dining at Sardi's with a $45 bottle of wine that you could, used to be able to pick up at Trader Joe's for a couple of bucks until they cleaned out the shelves over there because it's like a two-hour freaking wait just to get a shopping cart at these places because that's all the type of people that shop at Trader Joe's are all these nervous Nelly liberal types who, oh my God, we have to get bread because it's the end of the world, but you know what? You know what? It's got to be gluten-free, non-GMO bread or I won't eat it. You people really make me sick and I'm spitting all over the microphone. So if you think I've got coronavirus, which I hope I do, because now the next person that uses his microphone, which I hope is that David Muir from ABC News, now he's going to get all, oh, I'm short of breath and I've got the fever. I would allow Chinese firms to build critical U.S. infrastructure if I were an idiot. I guess it's an okay enough question, Mags, but, you know, really, you still got nice enough cans. Um, no, of course I wouldn't allow the Chinese firms to build critical U.S. infrastructure. I mean, after all, there's no Chinese firm that is going to be able to build the, the plumbing fixtures and the sewer systems 
and the septic system sufficient to take care of the load, you know, the mass loads and the stress that I can, I alone can put on them. I don't trust anybody else. We're going to use good old-fashioned USA products like Kohler from Wisconsin, and they can build a toilet that can handle what I can dish out. So no, no Chinese firms are going to build, you know, those substandard low-flow toilets that, you know, that literally that shit don't flush in. You know, it's, it's garbage. Why would we allow them to do that? I mean, that's the most critical part of U.S.'s infrastructure. Listen, lady, nothing's free in this world except the boot they got for me. Next question. Margaret, Xi Jinping is a dictator. Uh, he is not responsive to his constituents, as you can tell by all the dead bodies in the Wuhan province. And how far do we need to cooperate with China? Well, it's pretty complicated. Uh, hopefully we can start getting away from as entangled a relationship as we have with them through free trade with other countries and making good deals with other countries. No, Volga, I'm not fixated just on, you know, boobs and, and what's coming out of my ass on any given day. No, I am not. I have many, many other interests. I also like to write sassy song lyrics, parody lyrics, of course, because that's the way I roll. And I also like booze a lot. So, you know, I'm a multi-talented man. I'm a man of many, many loves. Can Americans trust that a democratic socialist president will not give authoritarians a free pass? None of the gourmagons sitting on this stage are Democrat socialists, Democratic socialists, I guess, forgive me. First of all, you know, we're all autocrats anyway and authoritarians in our own special way. I mean, Tsar's the OG one, but, you know, the rest of us are pretty authoritarian anyway. Um, so, you know, who cares what Bernie Sanders is going to do? I mean, who cares what a Democrat socialist is going to do? I mean, they're going to tank the economy and um, normal Americans aren't going to vote for any clown that, you know, espouses socialism anyway because... It's all a pipe dream. I mean, you can look at Venezuela, you can look at North Korea, you can look at the Soviet Union, you can look at all these other countries that have just cratered because of it. So, you know, if you really think that's a good idea, Americans, you, you feel free to give up your citizenship and move to any one of those countries. I'm sorry the Soviet Union is no longer in existence because it sucked so bad it cratered. But, you know, Venezuela is open and ready for business. Just move your ass over there and, you know, leave a Don't vote. Do us a favor and don't vote if you think Democratic Socialist President would be a good idea. Sir, your turn for an answer. Uh, I'd like to apologize for wishing that ABC News anchor David Muir gets coronavirus. I really hope he doesn't. I hope that uh, no one does. Um, now, you asked a question about socialist presidents, and I think that you've gotten a pretty good idea uh, what socialism is going to look like in this country just from the absolutely ham-fisted response uh, that the media, the government, uh, local governments, uh, schools, uh, have with the coronavirus. Um, you know, it, it's it's a problem, and it just shows that our country uh, is not really well prepared. We become just spoiled rotten. And you know, why am I not surprised that it's it's the uh, no? I know I've done the same joke three times. I've been doing it all night. Shut up, Pewter. The the whole thing is don't don't make that face at me. Don't make that face at me. You know, if there were a socialist pre president in this country, I guarantee that a bunch of authoritarians like us certainly wouldn't be allowed to have a podcast. I kid you not. What, what was the question? I agree 100% with whatever Czar just said. You know, I can't hear damn things. How the hell am I supposed to rebut anything in this soundproof booth anyway? So, you know, what I'd just like to say is, yeah, whatever Czar said, that's good enough for me. So, that you know, there's one. There's a free one for Czar. Yay, Czar. Way to go, you jerk. Cyber attack. They have like one store that sells a bunch of IBM 286 computers. I know this because I watched Goldeneye the other day. It of course depends on the democratic socialist. Some guy like Bernie Sanders, who's 
been a lickspittle for the Soviets and every chucklehead in a khaki uniform in this hemisphere for decades, no, you can't trust him at all. But, you know, say you had some, you know, muscular sewer socialist from Milwaukee, sure, maybe. Margaret, the question is wrong. Uh, it is not whether or not a democratic socialist president will not give authoritarians a free pass. The question should be asked, will the democratic socialist president give the right authoritarians a free pass and give the wrong authoritarians no free pass? But that's how real politic works. Bill Whitaker has the floor. The bipartisan Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Report concluded Russia interfered in our last presidential election and the Obama administration failed to respond forcefully. U.S. intelligence says Russia's at it again. If it is proven that Russia has interfered in the 2020 elections, would you as president... Again, it's imperial leader. Keep up. ...launch a retaliatory cyber attack? Sure I would. Heck, maybe even a preemptive attack to keep them on their toes. And I'd encourage the British to have MI6 go over and take out some of the guys who killed Alexander Litvinenko so the Russians stop assassinating people on British soil. Uh, yes, I would launch a retaliatory cyber attack, and I'd, I'd like to explain exactly what form that attack would take, uh, is I would force every Russian account throughout the world uh, to change their password routinely, uh, even though they just changed it the other day, kind of like Apple... Uh, did with iTunes, which is why nobody wants to use it anymore. I would, I would make the Russians not want to use computers anymore. Oh man, I'm a little disappointed. I thought it was going to be Forrest Whitaker asking his question, but I guess I'll have to answer this dumbass question about Russia's interference in elections. What I wouldn't do is have a ginned up, you know, three year, you know, three year jihad against whoever gets elected president. What I would do is I would actually, you know, probably just shut down all Putin's accounts and, you know, maybe, maybe consider nuking a few Russian cities. I think that that would probably teach him a lesson or two. Um, you know, the Russians, you know, they're not horrible people, but you know, if you're messing with the U S I guess, again, we've got the nuclear weapons. We might as well use them. Right. So, you know, what's a few million lives in the grand scheme of things, you know, and you know, Vladimir Putin's not going to nuke us back. You know, he's one of our best friends. Just, you know, that's what president Trump's been telling us for years. And, you know, you got to kind of believe the guy because, you know, he, he wasn't, he was on a, he was on a, um, reality show. You know, you've you got to trust people like that. If Dr. J were in charge of our intelligence and cyber military, we would be having preemptive attacks on Russian electronic infrastructure. You know, I just like to say that I really don't understand what a cyber anything is. So I just completely made up that answer to that question. So, you know, computers baffle me and you know recording technology baffles me and, and I still don't understand why I'm locked in this box and somebody shat in the corner and it probably was me but you know I'm going to blame somebody else for it like Slee Stack over there so you know Dat Ho's going to have to clean this up and he's going to be really unhappy about it Czar we should probably increase Dat Ho's pay for the week after this thank you yep. well, we've talked a lot about your policies during this debate now we'd like to get a little more personal. I know we're going to ask you when we come back from the break about the words you live by. We're going to give you a couple of minutes to gather your thoughts. And we'll be right back. Come on by the Leap and Peacock. Open every night until your computer goes home. I'm Patrick, the owner, and Casey is my daughter, who serves the booze. If all you want is a beer or a whiskey, you've come to the right place. 
If you're looking for a gym in Slimfast or Labar Sunrise, well, we're the official tavern of the Gormagans. So basically, if it's got alcohol in it, we'll put it in a glass for you. We're right across the road from the castle, so come on by, or I'll turn this music up. Now, how, how do I, Casey, dear, how do I switch off this? Welcome back to Charleston, South Carolina. This is the final segment of the final debate before the first in the South primary this Saturday and Super Tuesday one week from today. Gail? All right, one final question, candidates, and it's a two-parter. First, I'd like you each to tell us your the biggest misconception about you. That's number one. Number two, the South Carolina motto is this, while I breathe, I hope. So outside of politics, in no more than 45 seconds or so, what is your personal motto, your personal belief, your favorite quote that represents you? Biggest misconception about me? Madam, I run a secret conspiracy. I try to ensure no one has any conceptions of me. In terms of a personal statement, uh, let me simply refer you to my campaign book, if you will, The Analex of Me, uh, now available at bookstores everywhere in many translations. Uh, Arthur Whaley did a nice job years ago. Raymond Dawson is now in a lovely paperback edition from Oxford. So you want some more of my thought? It's out there. Uh, first, the biggest misconception about me is that I would gleefully chop the heads off of 90% of the people that I run into. I think it's probably closer to 98%, and I do have the axes to do it. Uh, so uh, the biggest misconception with me is do not underestimate how nasty I can really be. Um, so I, I guess that's it. Now, uh, personal motto or personal belief or favorite quote? Um, I believe it was Alexander the Great who said, and, and forgive me, uh, my Macedonian is a little rusty, so I'm going to try to paraphrase this in English as best I can, is um, I am extremely nasty, and I absolutely hate the news media. I think you people are an apt boil on, on society that needs to be lanced right away. I think uh, it's absolutely pathetic. And, you know, I keep going back to this coronavirus thing, but you have really just just molded my cheese you know that i there were there the, the news media is so bad in this country that that it, it reeks of hobo ass i mean really that there was like some abscessed tumor in the mouth of some homeless guy that produces better content than the media at this time no i'm serious and and you'll get your chance to talk oh, oh uh, that's my 45 seconds i'm so sorry my motto would be obey me my belief is you should obey me and my favorite quote is obey me. I would love to share a misconception about myself, but I'm so oblivious to what other people's conceptions are of me that I really can't dispel any myths. Uh, I just try to do my best every day. I don't really have a personal motto. Um, I guess I have a philosophy of treating everybody with kindness and compassion. Um, and just, as I said before, doing my best every day. Uh, it's not much, but it works for me. My personal motto? Again, this is a horrible, horrible question. But again, for you know, since we're in the soundproof booths and you're not going to let me out till I answer the damn question, I'll answer the question. So my personal motto? When it rains, it pours. I read that on the side of a Morton salt container. I have no idea what it means. So I just decided to adopt it as my personal motto because it seemed cool. And actually, there's a you know a chick on the side of it in a raincoat dumping salt on the sidewalk, which I thought was wasteful, horrible, and anarchic all at the same time. So, kind of dug it. I think I'm gonna go with it. 
Uh, closing statement, I would just like to say uh, it doesn't really matter if you vote for any of the Gormagans or not because we are going to take over the world. We're this close to getting around to it. And I swear if we just applied ourselves a little more, if we keep Pewter off the Twitter and and maybe get Mandarin out of the basement a little bit more and let's see if Doc could stop watching all the Star Wars movies on DVD over and over. You, are you on VHS? VHS? seriously okay he's nodding his head vhs um yeah we get around to it yeah yeah i I think all we need is a little bit of focus or whatever and uh uh so it doesn't matter if you vote for us because uh we're gonna have you under our thumb uh any any month now a week year i don't know what's the order uh year yeah any year decade so we got time we got time this is kind of a stupid question. You always have to ask these human interest questions at the end, but I'll, I'll play along. I'll answer this question. I guess the biggest misconception about me is that I'm white. You know, if we're playing by the rules of the left, I'm just going to start considering myself random shit. So I'm going to tell everybody today that I am a you know, black American descendant of slaves um, because apparently that'll give me some street cred and maybe get me some votes. And I'll also like to self-identify as gay, even though I like ladies. So, you know, there's a couple misconceptions of people who thought I was a straight white guy. But, you know... I really kind of am a straight white guy. Hopefully our viewers found this debate enlightening and entertaining. (laughs) Well, maybe that's hoping for too much. At a minimum, you got to hear all the gormos while you were locked away, wrapped in 2,000 rolls of toilet paper, feasting upon hand sanitizer marinated chicken grilled over the coals of your kids' textbooks. No, we will not have another debate like the Democrats because we're too busy pursuing world domination. We're out. Shadow, fill the mics. No, you can unlock the booths later. I don't care what those other guys are doing. What? Oh, so you said still dealing with Peter's mess? Nah, who cares? Buy me a drink. Now. Hey, I said turn off the microphone. And last, I'd just like to say, Zara can completely suck it.